Hey everyone, it's Stephanie from True Crime Anonymous. I just want to tell you about this app called Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It is free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it is everything you need in a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app today or go to anchor.fm to get started. True Crime Anonymous may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hey everyone, welcome back to True Crime Anonymous. Today's Mass Murder Monday. And if you're new here, every Monday we talk about a murder that occurred in Massachusetts. Why? Because I'm from Massachusetts and I thought it would be neat because I listen to quite a few podcasts and ain't nobody doing it like me. (laughs) I'm so dumb. But I thought it would be a different idea. Um... So here we are, Mass Murder Monday. I think this is number three or four. I don't know. We are in the beginning stages of all of this. So I'm just trying different techniques. And like today, usually I like take notes and then write a story. And then, you know, tell my story to you guys. But today I'm just going to try to speak freely um, and just kind of wing it with my notes and we'll see how this goes. Um, I'm pretty nervous that I'm going to do really bad, but if I do hang in there with me um, and if it sucks, then next time it'll be back to me writing out a story and then speaking it to you guys. So I'm just trying to do different things here find out what works what doesn't anyway today's case we are talking about the wakefield massacre that occurred in wakefield massachusetts and today's case has a lot to do with mental health issues it is incredibly sad all the way around this case stinks every way you friggin look at it um seven people's lives were taken by one man who may or may not have been severely mentally disturbed i mean you have to be mentally disturbed anyway to plan out um you know a murder but um you know, once I tell this story, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Like, did he have all of these mental issues that he claimed? Or did something 
which we'll talk about in a few minutes, did something, push him over the edge. And were the killings fueled by this event? And that is kind of like the argument that, you know, we're looking at here. The outcome has already been determined by the judge and, you know, the court of law. But, um, you know, and there, there's so much information available on this case. And I'm really going to do my best to give you guys, you know, all the information that I can. But if you're interested in this case and, um, you know, want to learn more about it, I really suggest that you go and, and look, you know, look online about it. And just, it's a really interesting case. You know, this guy was brilliant. He really was, um, even though like he did bad in high school, but I, I really believe he was acting out, you know, he was, you know, being raped repeatedly, he claims, by a neighbor, his parents were strict Christians, um, you know, so I, I don't know, I think he was just acting out, you know, in high school, he was just being a teenager, but... You know, he was very smart after um, high school. He went in the Navy. He was honorably discharged after like six years or something. And then he, um, you know, went from in between a few jobs and ended up at this place. But we'll get to all of that. Um, Anyway, see, this is why I write the story because I just lose my my train here. I'm derailed already. We're just going to keep going. This tragedy happened on December 26th, year 2000 in Wakefield, like I said, um, at Edgewater Technology. This was a place of business. This is where um, this man was working. It was just the day after Christmas. You know, everybody was just Glad the holidays were over and back to work. And this man who came in and shot this place up, his name was Michael McDermott. And he, there's so many things. Let's just start at the beginning of his life. He was born September 4th, 1958. Um, his name when he was born was Michael McDermott Martinez. He was born in Marshfield, Massachusetts. He was the second of four children. His parents were Richard and Rosemary Martinez. They were both teachers, both members of the Historical Society. Um, When he was a teenager, he would help his parents and their community work. Um, He was a member of the Marshfield High School Audiovisual Club. And he graduated from Marshfield High School in 1976. And according to a few people at that school, he was a pretty popular guy. Um, In 1976, the same year that he graduated, uh, in late June, he enlisted in the Navy. He served, um, you know, uh, served in several submarine training schools until... The next year, in 1977, he was assigned to Nuclear Power Training Unit in Idaho. 
I don't know why he just said that like that. <laughs> uh, in Idaho Falls. Um, and then until 1982, he served as an electrician um, on the USS Norwal. And he was finally sent to personnel support um, in the Naval Station in Charleston, South Carolina. And in 1980, he changed his name to Michael Morgan McDermott. And two years later, in 1982, he was honorably discharged with the rank of Electrician's Mate Petty Officer Second Class. Um, from 82 to 88, he worked for Maine Yankee Nuclear... Why do I say it like that? Nuclear. Nuclear. Okay. Nuclear. Maine Yankee Nuclear. That's a funny word. I can't get over it. I don't know. Anyway, train is derailed. Again, get back on track. Um, power plant, like I said, between 82 and 88. He trained to be a reactor operator, but he never actually got that position. He quit his job and moved to Weymouth, Massachusetts. And in 1990, he started working for Duracell. Um, and he got himself a girl. And on September 26, 1992, he was married to Monica Sheehan. And these were like, these two were former high school acquaintances. It doesn't even say that they were friends. They were acquaintances. Um, but this man was difficult and just not equipped to be married I guess so they separated in May 96 and were divorced the next year in 1997 and after this he became extremely depressed gained lots of weight and kind of adopted this more shaggy look um if I can paint a picture of this man for you guys he is a bigger man and he has a long, you know, unruly brown beard with long, crazy, dark brown hair. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and I don't know how good of a picture I just painted for you, but yeah. He's just a big man who looks unkept. Um, anyway, continuing with this timeline... In February of the year 2000, he quit Duracell because they were moving to Connecticut and he didn't want to go. Even though they offered him a position, he was like, nope, I can't move to Connecticut. Gotta stay here. Um, and that's when the next month in March of 2000, he joined Edgewater Technology. Um... That same year, he, it was like Halloween of 2000, he moved out of his apartment in South Weymouth and moved closer to um, work in Wakefield. Um, apparently, he wasn't paying rent. He left a nasty mess. He owed his landlord like $1,700. Um, he actually moved to Haverhill, not 
Wakefield. So he, he lived not too far from his job, but he just left a nasty mess, owed him money. Um, the landlord said that like he had to completely renovate the apartment after he left because he like he left a broken dishwasher. There was holes in the walls. The carpet was torn up. Um, it it looked like there was a flood in there at some point. Um, the upstairs neighbor said that like he knew he collected antique guns, but he was quiet and he never never bitched about anything apparently. Um, let's see. So, the year that this happens, things are looking really bad for him. The IRS claims that he owes about $5,500 um, and his employer is going to like garnish a big part of his paycheck until this was paid off and it would leave him like 200 and almost $280 every two weeks for six weeks or three paychecks so this would have been over in six weeks he would have been fully paid uh, to the IRS squared up in three paychecks or six weeks um, he didn't have to go and kill all of these people now this is this part of the argument did he go and kill all of these people because things were falling apart and he was mad and this is what sent him over the edge because you know his work was going to garnish his wages or was he mentally ill which we'll get into um so he had a conversation with a woman named Cheryl Troy and Patricia Bo. Borier. Sorry if I butchered her last name. Um, and these were people who worked, that he worked with, that would, um, you know, I think one was in payroll and one, she was like um, human resources, I believe. Um, so they were trying to you know, help him and talk to the IRS on his behalf. But um, he claimed he didn't owe the IRS, IRS anything and he didn't want to pay them a dime. He claimed he owed them nothing. He grew upset and angry and didn't understand why Edgewater, his company, had to even comply with this. Like, why? Um, he was not willing to make a payment plan um, and he said I'm not paying them shit basically he was also behind on his car payment they were ready to repossess he would actually um, 
park his car down the street instead of in the parking garage that was um, for the employees because he didn't want the repo people to find his car in the garage so he parked the car down the street um now four days before no so five days before this happened on 12 21 the bank called and said we are going to repossess like this is going to happen um and he basically said good luck finding it you know um the day after that on 12 22 he asked three of his co-workers to go to his cubicle to witness him sign a will and then two days later on christmas eve um he was like test firing uh his some of his guns um on the side of crystal street it's like a secluded area like five minutes from his house but he was you know test firing guns and christmas day he went into his work at a few minutes before 7 p.m. and left just 18 minutes later. He was suspected that he was planting um, guns in certain places and doing a walkthrough of the layout again just to be sure. So he's planning all of these things. On December 26th, everyone comes back to work after a wonderful holiday with their families. And there goes the stupid cats. Every time, every single time I'm recording, my cats are doing something. <laughs> Bye, kitty. Okay. <laughs> Goodbye, kitty. Um, so, I'm so sorry. Yeah, so the day after Christmas, everyone comes back after a wonderful holiday with their families. Everyone is excited to talk to different co-workers and friends about, you know, the experience they had with their families and what they got their kids for Christmas and all of the things that go on. Maybe even, you know, like exchanging some presents and bringing in all the leftover holiday food. I don't know. All of the things that people do after Christmas Everyone was excited, but not excited probably to be back to work. Um, So he goes into work at like 10.30 in the morning, 10.29 to be exact, with a big black large duffel bag. And he has some friendly conversation in the kitchen with a co-worker uh, but when the co-worker sees the duffel bag, he, like, abruptly ends the conversation. At 11.07 in the morning, he's, you know, he's at work. He receives a call from the bank about the car repo. And he says, listen, I don't even need the car anymore. Um, it's in the parking garage. So we parked in the garage that day. It's in the garage. Come get it. I don't need it. Um, calls his mama. Talks to his mom for a little bit. And 
he just started killing people. Um, he went and killed um, Cheryl Troy and Miss Haggerty first. And he shot most of his victims um, in the back of the head repeatedly. Um, I'm trying to find... Uh, Okay, so he shot Janice Haggerty, who was a 46-year-old office manager, and... Cheryl Troy, who was 50 years old, and she was a vice president of human resources. He kills them first. And Rose Manfredi, she was a 48-year-old accountant in payroll. She tells Linda Tessier to shut and lock the door, and she does. And Linda Tessier tells everyone, you know, get under the desk. And Paul Marco, he's a 36-year-old development uh, development tech. Um, he gets under his deck desk, and you know, Tessier, Linda Tessier is under her desk as well. Um, John Land, he was a VP of Consulting Services. He was standing with um, Louis Javel and Michael walked towards them you know with an assault rifle in one hand and some other unknown item in another in the other hand and Michael was like 15 20 feet away from them uh, and Javel uh, Mr. Javel says oh shit and Quote, Mike, why? End quote. Followed by a gunshot. And he actually shot him four times. Um, and Craig Wood was at his cubicle. And he was heard saying, quote, Mike, no. End quote. And he shot him twice. Then he goes and <clears throat> killed Jennifer Capo Bianco. And he shot her four times in the back. He fired a shot through the lock on the door in the accounting area. He shot Manfredi multiple times. She screamed and he just shot her again. And she did not die instantly. It actually took her a few minutes to die after she was shot like four times. Uh, Marco was shot in the head, stomach, and chest, um, and then he was dead. Now, so, now it's 11.15. Wakefield police are finally dispatched after several, several 911 calls claiming that their shots fired. Um, now, officers enter this building cautiously and expecting the worst Um, but they find Michael sitting in a chair in the reception area upright, motionless 
you know, arms on the armrests. The duffel bag was on the couch. The AK-47 was on the floor by his right foot and a 12-gauge shotgun. No, I'm sorry, 12-gauge Winchester 1300 pump-action shotgun was by his left foot. There was no more ammunition in them. And they were like, get your hands up, get on the ground. And he just, he just sat there and did not comply. And they were like, put your hands on your head. And he interrupts them and he says, quote, I don't speak German, end quote. The two officers kind of pull him to the ground, cuff him up, search him. They find a, um, another gun, like a semi-automatic, um, 32 caliber Spanish, uh, what is it called? Rip Plaza, semi-auto. I don't know anything about guns, but that's what the name of the gun was called. And that was in his front right pocket. Um, inside the duffel bag, there were several fully loaded magazines, loose ammo, shotgun shells, and cartridge bo- cartridge boxes. So they have him roll over, stand up, sit back on the chair, lift his legs, boots off, and they search his boots. They get him into the police car and, um, you know, away from this scene as quickly and swiftly and quietly as possible because there was a lot of people who had just been killed and you know that needed to be dealt with and they needed to get him out of there to ensure the safety of other people and you know to you know try and save anyone if possible Uh, So they get him out and to the station and booked. Now there are seven people who were killed. Um, The victims were Craig Wood, age 29, of Human Resources. Janice Haggerty, 46, the office manager. Jennifer Bragg Capobianco, 29, of Marketing. Cheryl Troy, age 50, Vice President of Human Resources. Roseman Frady, age 48, accountant and payroll. Louis Havele, age 58, director of consulting. And Paul Marco, age 36, development technician. That is a lot of lives taken and a lot of families destroyed forever. That is a lot of devastation. Now, was this because he was mentally ill? Or did he get pushed over the edge by his life? You know, his repossession and his IRS tax lien and, you know, his depression and all of these things. There's so many questions and the police just have so many questions, especially like, why are you saying you don't speak German? Like, we're speaking to you in English. Like, where are you in your head? Um, so police just like recover numerous discharged cartridge casings, spent projectiles. There's ammunition everywhere. Um, and you know, if you look back on 
his life. There's a lot of things. And so that's what I'm going to talk about next. Because he testified in court all of these things. Um, so he, the defendant testified that his parents were strict Catholics. He was raped repeatedly by a neighbor growing up. He was a, quote, geek. Um, but his acquaintances from high school said he was a, quite the popular guy. So, who knows? Um, and he was highly intelligent, but received poor grades in high school, got into trouble, robbed his neighbor. Um, he attempted suicide as a teenager. He took a bunch of sleep-easy pills um you know then he joined the navy for six years and you know like i said he was honorably discharged in june 1982 um but in 1987 uh he attempted suicide by cutting his wrists and he was admitted to pembroke hospital now he filed workman's comp claim against a main Yankee because he wasn't permitted to go back to work and he actually received 85 grand because of that. Um, he should have saved his money and he wouldn't have like cared if he owed the IRS money. That's probably why that he did owe them money actually. He probably didn't pay taxes on that money. That's probably exactly what it was. It didn't say that, but that's what I'm assuming. Um, in September of 1989, he took classes at Northeastern University. Um, but in May 1990, he was admitted to Boston Hospital for suicidal thoughts. Um, now, in the early 1990s, it doesn't say the exact date, but that he overdosed on Xanax, um, attempting suicide again. And he was admitted to Pembroke Hospital again for seven weeks. Um, it wasn't until 97 that he was divorced and he started working at Edgewater in Wakefield in the year 2000. But obviously, like, he had a long-standing depression problem and these are all the things that I'm going to list off that said that he claims that he has. He said that he had visual distortion, claustrophobia, difficulty focusing, muffled hearing, ringing in the ears, auditory hallucinations. Um, but he kept his issue, issues to himself because he didn't trust psychiatrists for his fear of being locked up. And because he didn't want to be labeled as crazy. Um, and that's a, I think, like, that part is a legitimate thing. Like, I think a lot of people keep their mental health issues hush-hush because they're afraid of being labeled crazy. And that's the, that's the crap part about it is that mental health has such a crap stigma attached to it. And people need to realize, like, mental health problems are, like, in a lot of people, 
if not in everyone, in some sort of way, whether it be just a tiny little thing that you have all the way to, you know, a long laundry list of issues like this guy claims he has. Um, But he also claims that Maine Yankee, the job that he worked at, exposed him to radiation. He claims that it killed his thyroid. Quote, killed. Um, He took a variety of meds in his life for hyperactive thyroid, high blood pressure. He took antidepressants. He took Prozac, Trazodone. But he said he was lying to the doctor since the 80s to get certain meds. Right before he went on this killing spree, he downed Percocet, Darvocet, and some vodka. He washed Perks down with vodka. Um, So it looks like he, you know, had a little bit of a pill problem too, maybe. Which, that's not documented either, but he's lying to the doctors for over 20 years to get the pills that he wanted, you know, so he knows how to manipulate Um, Because, you know, he researched all these things. Um, Now, here's where things get crazy. Even more crazy, I should say. He also testified that two weeks before all of this happened, um, after he learned of his IRS issue... An archangel appeared to him at his cubicle. The archangel said God has a plan for him and said he could obtain a soul and go to purgatory and possibly in time go to heaven if he went back in time and prevented the Holocaust by killing Hitler and six of the architects of the Holocaust who were Nazis wearing swastikas. And that is when he started preparing for his completion of God's plan. What do you think about that? Because he has, he claimed, he also claimed that he was born with no soul. So, this archangel is saying, well, you can get a soul if you do this. So, he claims that these seven people that he killed were six Nazis and Hitler um and that when he entered that building it was like he was in Germany and he was executing this mission it was not like he was in an office building or (sighs) I don't you know it just confuses me because he's saying he's so deeply mentally disturbed but he goes and he plans all these things but he plans all these things because of you know this archangel that appeared at his desk so it 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 is just insane and after all of this is done he says that he is currently in purgatory and nothing around him actually exists and because of this um all of these claims after he's arrested he's evaluated by some doctors and 
you know, he's diagnosed with a depressive mood disorder and an obsessive compulsive personality disorder. Um, he had a regular therapist, believe it or not, Dr. Rothstein. And before this, he said that he liked his job, but um, called him, you know, in early December of 2000. Uh, and it was about the IRS garnishment. And he was like, I can't survive on this. Where, you know, what am I going to do? And he's like, well, maybe you should come in and see me you know, before your your next scheduled appointment, let's make another one. And he had never saw him again. Um, but he had said that he liked his job and, and everything was actually okay, except for, you know, he had a problem with eating bad food and spending money. Um, so... One doctor said that his suicide attempts were more like mere gestures. Like he didn't, and that he didn't have an actual mental disease or defect. There were no indicators of schizophrenia. He did not suffer um, psychosis at the time of the shooting. Uh, and that he believed that he was faking an insanity defense. The symptoms did not fit his behaviors. And he actually was researching how to fake a mental illness. And he claims that it was just to educate himself on symptoms of illness and, you know, if, it, if his illness was real or, or not. Um, but, you know, that's just more fuel for the prosecution's fire. They are like, he researched how to fake a mental illness and, you know, he's evaluated by the doctors and the doctors are saying, this is crap. This is just absolute crap. He just lost it because of his IRS issue and, you know, his repossession and his just, I don't know, maybe he had diabetes and it was acting up and he was hangry. I don't know. Nobody knows what actually went on except him. You know, he's the only one that knows what's in that mind of his. Actually, you can analyze someone all you want, but that's just your opinion. Whether it be, you know, professional or not, it's still an opinion. Um, you just never know. And police also search his apartment um, the same day that this happened just to see if there was like any other victims that, you know, maybe he had started with before he got to um, his work. But thankfully there were no more victims. And... So, there's just, there's so much information available about, you know, his, the, you know, the analysis of him and his mental illnesses or not, um, but that is the, that is the gist of it, um, and he 
was sentenced to seven consecutive counts of first degree murder seven consecutive life sentences without the chance of parole um, he is incarcerated at old county correctional center in bridgewater massachusetts and he was also charged with uh he was found guilty with the um, illegal possession of a large capacity weapon, illegal possession of a large capacity feeding device, illegal possession of a semi-automatic pistol, illegal possession of a rifle, illegal possession of a shotgun. Um, but, I mean, he already has seven consecutive life sentences. He's not going anywhere. Um, so those charges, I mean, doesn't matter. It, it really doesn't. Um, it's not going anywhere. Massachusetts does not have the death penalty, so that was not an option. Um, you know, that's a whole nother conversation, whether I think that Massachusetts should have a death penalty or not. Um, I feel like if somebody could take seven lives and... You know, I just don't, I don't know. What do you guys think about this case? Do you think he had a mental illness? Do you think that he just went over the edge about his, you know, IRS um, tax lien? And it was only like 5500 bucks. It would have been three paychecks that were short, six weeks worth of, you know, maybe a hardship. You know, he would have probably made it through. I know, like, when I, if I'm going through a hard time, I always find a way to make it. And I don't know if that's just, like, a mom thing, if you just find a way, or if it's just, like, a human, adulting, thriving thing that you do. You just find a way to make it work. You know, reach out to your resources. Um, ask for a helping hand when you, when you need it. And... The real people who care for you will help you in your time of need. But make sure that when you don't need help, that you're a good person and you offer your help to someone in need as well. Because when the tables are turned, you don't want to be alone and have no one. And maybe that was the case with him. Some people are just bad people. And... I don't know. Was he a bad person? Was he mentally ill? Extremely mentally ill? I mean, like I said, you have to be, you know, something's got to be off to take that many lives anyway. But what do you think? Did he go over the edge? Was he like super sick in the head? Or both? Is there both? Or isn't there? I don't know. What do you guys think? Let us know. Um, send us an email, truecrimeanonymous at yahoo.com. Oh, I forgot. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, at this place, they actually, the um, Edgewater Technologies, where um, this happened, they planted, um, I think it's cherry tree? Hold on, let me try to find it. Of course, I'm not going to be able to find it in time. Um... 
yeah, I think they planted a cherry tree, and every year, now that I want to talk about it, I'm not going to be able to find it. Oh, yeah, so, okay, a cherry tree was planted outside Edgewater's offices in memory of the victims, and every December, carnation flowers are woven into the branches in their memory. I thought that was sweet. Just a little something to let the victims you know be remembered um because they definitely deserve to be remembered uh they didn't deserve this i say that every time because i just covered like the most brutal cases like but somebody's got to do the dirty work right so that is mass murder monday it's still monday it's like after 10 but it's still monday and did you like the way i did this today without writing a story or did you like the one i did yesterday when i when i like told the story i actually wrote a story or do you like it this way when i just ramble and get off track all the time let me know um, like I said, truecrimeanonymous at yahoo.com, truecrimeanonymous at Facebook, at Instagram. Um, send us a DM. And I will see you guys. Well, you guys will hear from me. I'm going to try to really start pushing these episodes out. And I want to get another one out by Wednesday. So, hopefully... I want to start something on Wednesdays like Weirdo Wednesday or like Where'd You Go Wednesday and do like a missing person or a weird Wednesday, like a weird case. Um, so what's better? Where'd You Go Wednesday for missing people or Weird Wednesday for weird cases or Weirdo Wednesday for like a weirdo? <laughs> I don't know. I just... I like this, like Serial Killer Saturday, Mass Murder Monday. Um, <laughs> so maybe we'll do Where'd You Go Wednesday and do a missing person case. Either way, November 7th, 2019, you'll hear my voice all around the world. All around the world. <laughs> oh my god. Time for sleep. Good night. Happy Mass Murder Monday. (laughs) Good night.